Welcome back to Murder on Sex Island. Written and read by me, Joe Firestone. This is episode 11, the penultimate episode where I'll be reading chapters 39 and 40. Here's a quick reminder of what happened in the last few chapters should you need it. Luella found AJ unconscious in the seventh floor trash room. Producer Stephanie seems like the number one suspect with love notes and a mysterious car key in her dresser. John took on a more active role in the ongoing investigation involving David G.'s sister Frances. Chapter 39 Detective Johannes dropped me at my apartment building at 4 p.m., so I had two hours before I was supposed to meet Ethan. That Dodge key was burning a hole in my pocket, and I wanted to find Stephanie's car. I had a feeling it'd be somewhere in the crew lot. I made my way over there, scanning the rows of trucks and vans for the Ram insignia. As it turned out, many of the vans had the Ram insignia. In fact, every single van in the lot was a Dodge Ram. I did a preliminary count. I could see 19 Dodge vans from where I was standing. I wished I could identify the vans specifically from 2004 to 2006, but they all looked the same to me, like transformer mice. Luckily, I had some time. I would check as many as I could. The key might fit into one of them, and who knew what was inside. The first row I checked had four vans. None of them were a match. The second row had three vans. Again, no matches. It looked like I was alone out there, so I took the opportunity to scratch my itchy head for a glorious minute. In a state of near-physical ecstasy, I walked to the third row, and that's when I saw David N. on his hands and knees on the hot, black asphalt. I watched as he reached his whole arm underneath a parked van. He seemed to be searching for something. Hey, I yelled to him. What are you doing? He startled and jumped to his feet. Luello, what are you doing here? He brushed off his palms on his swim trunks. I asked first. He stood there staring at me for almost a minute. I was about to ask if he was physically okay when he spoke again. I'm looking for my contact lens, lenses, both of them. Both of them fell out. He stuttered. On the ground, I asked. Yeah, I need to find them so I can put them back uh, into my eyes. David N. crossed his arms and nodded, then decided to look directly into the sun. Uh-huh. What's up with your tooth? he asked, pointing at my mouth. You're nearsighted? I asked. David N. shrugged. I guess. Hey, what's that? he asked, pointing at the key in my hand. He operated like a toddler learning to speak. John lent me a van. Not my best lie, not my worst. He stepped closer to me. I could smell his sweat. Which van, he asked, holding out his hand for the key. I doubled down on my grip. Maybe this one, I said, sticking the key into the van door he'd been looking below. I don't think so, he said. His voice cracked midway through his sentence. The key fit. I turned it to the left and heard the lock click open. I glanced at David N. as I held the door slightly ajar. Guess it was this one, I said. He furrowed his brow. Where'd you say you got that key again? John, I said. He knew I was lying now, and his face turned ashen. I gotta go, he shouted as he ran off in the direction of the apartment building. 
He moved so fast he formed little clouds of sand in his wake. Once David N. was out of sight, I looked below the van for myself. There was nothing as far as I could see. What was he looking for, I wondered. I didn't know him to wear contacts, and if he did, one would think dropping them on the hot asphalt would be an endgame. There was something about my entering this van in particular that set him off. I opened the driver's side door all the way and climbed inside. It was exceedingly warm, so much so the air inside the van had an almost wavy quality. There was a white leaf-shaped air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. It made the van smell like coconut in the worst way. The interior looked like all the other vans I'd been in during my time on Sex Island. Dark gray leather, sandy car mats. There was nothing in the glove compartment. A mostly empty plastic water bottle sat in the cup holder. I felt the bottle. The water inside was warm. It must have been sitting in there for a while. Underneath the water bottle, I found a wadded-up napkin from Scoopies and an old grocery store receipt for eggs, yogurt, frozen blueberries, and Gatorade. I looked down at the passenger-side car mat and saw what looked like a sandy footprint, men's size 10 or 11. I crawled back through the van's three rows of hot leather seats. There was nothing remarkable back there. From what I could tell, this was just another production van. But why would Stephanie keep the key in her bedside table? And why was David N. acting so oddly when I got in? The Scoopy's napkin was throwing me for a loop. Was John somehow involved in this too? Then I got to the trunk. There, resting on its side, was a mostly full gallon jug of Prestone antifreeze. The same brand I'd seen in the trash bag on top of AJ's unconscious body. There was always the chance that it was here for car maintenance, but I didn't think so. I had a strong feeling the contents of that jug had taken the life of one man and might soon take another. I scoured the van for any other corroborating evidence. Maybe a loose piece of John's hair, or a button from David G.'s shirt, or David N.'s lost contact lenses? I found nothing else. I looked at the time and realized an hour had passed. I was so thirsty my mouth felt like tissue paper. For a second I considered drinking what was left of that warm plastic water bottle. I finally pried my skin off the leather seat, they had become one, locked the van, and trudged the short walk back to the apartment building drenched in sweat. In the entryway, the air conditioning hit me the moment I entered, and it was glorious. I couldn't wait to get something cool to drink. A lemonade. A wild cherry Pepsi. Maybe an Arnold Palmer. But of course, I was intercepted at the elevator bank. Blair stood before me with her hands on her hips. She had her hair up in what I could only describe as pineapple style. Her eyes narrowed. I heard you saw AJ. He's like, in the hospital? I nodded slowly, not sure what her question meant. I couldn't stop picturing her naked on a horse. I shuddered. She shook her head in disbelief. Okay, so like Spill, how is he? He stabilized. Ew, she said, pointing at my mouth. What's wrong with your tooth? Someone pushed me, I said slowly. I searched her eyes for any sign of guilt. Nothing. You were the last to see AJ, I said. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, you need to fix that tooth. It's making me feel sad. She moved aside to let me pass. I decided to switch my approach. I know what you did with him, I said. And with that, I walked past her to the elevator bank, 
pushed the up button, and the elevator doors opened right on cue. Hell yeah! I walked in and didn't look back. I knew she'd follow me into the elevator, completely flabbergasted. I pushed the button for two and looked straight ahead. Blair stood next to me with her mouth agape. Listen, we had sex, okay? Is that such a crime? Blair's voice was raised. Depends, I said flatly. When? I don't know. Sometime Wednesday, maybe like 5.45 p.m. I didn't look at a clock, but the sun was still out. Can you prove it? I asked. She let out a loud exhale. Ugh, you're so annoying. Nate will back me up. Earlier in the season, I remembered something went down between Nate and Blair and David G., something involving a rim job gone wrong, but the details were hazy at the moment. The elevator dinged. We'd arrived on two. Blair followed me as I headed for the pantry. I drank three bottles of water, one right after the other. After the third bottle, I heard myself let out an audible, ah. Blair looked at me like I was some kind of animal. I wiped my mouth and burped loudly. Blair winced. So Nate, huh? I asked. I tell him everything. That's our deal. Whenever I want someone else, I just tell him and he's cool with it. Toward the end of her sentence, she trailed off. Did she lack conviction? She looked from side to side, then in a hushed tone asked me, Hey, can we go up to the roof real quick? The roof? Where the hell was the roof? Okay, I knew on an academic level where the roof was, but why didn't anyone tell me this place had a roof? We went back to the elevators and Blair pushed the RF button with a long, pointy, purple fingernail. I'd been living in that building for over a week and had never seen that button before. I realized that time I ran into George Stryker on the elevator, it was very possible he was coming from the roof. When the elevator doors opened next, it was directly onto a tropical paradise. It looked like heaven. Every surface was covered in lush vegetation. There were big earthenware pots overflowing with flowers in bright reds and deep blues and loud purples. Up here, the air smelled green and salty. I realized I was breathing deeply for the first time in days. Blair led us through a windy path to a nearly hidden bench. She did another loop around to make sure nobody else was up there and sat down next to me. Nate's a great guy, don't get me wrong, Blair whispered. Sometimes he just loses his chill. Not often, but like when I saw AJ, we immediately had this spiritual connection. Sorry if you liked him, but what we had was undeniable. It wasn't like show sex. It was like real sex. You know what I mean? My brain was working overtime to keep up. She went on. So that afternoon, I told Nate I was going to have sex with AJ, and Nate seemed fine with it. But then an hour later, he was completely unhinged. He kicked a hole in his wall. It was scary, for real. He was like, don't do it. I can't take it anymore. Shit like that. I blinked. So what'd you do? I told him that I was going to have sex with AJ, that he's a grown-up and that he can deal with it. Why are you telling me this? I asked. Because I think Nate is the reason AJ's in the hospital. I saw her lower lip quiver. And I think whatever happened to David G, it's totally possible Nate did that too. Chapter 40 I knew it was time to meet Ethan, so I left Blair on the roof. Nate, Nate, Nate. Why hadn't I considered Nate? Why had he been hiding with Stephanie and David N. in David N.'s trailer? 
I'd have to pay him a visit after this talk with Ethan. I took the elevator back down to eight and knocked twice on Ethan's door. It's open, he yelled from inside. I walked in to find Ethan sitting on his couch, wearing only a trench coat. I must have looked confused. Come in, I'll explain, he said. Shut the door. I was surprised to find Ethan's place so tastefully designed. It was brighter than the other apartments I'd seen in the complex. I'd realized he'd taken off the standard-issue blinds and replaced them with white linen curtains. He'd put down a large cream-colored fur rug that made the living room look both sleeker and more inviting. A white cotton throw was laid over the back of the couch. He seemed to know what he was doing, aesthetically speaking. I stood in his living room taking it all in. So, this was the real Ethan. Stephanie told me I'm probably going to be eliminated on Monday, he said. I'm sorry. Yeah, it sucks. I don't have any immunities left, and none of the girls seem to want me anymore. He punched the couch three times. I tried not to flinch. It's not personal, I said. Of course it's personal, he said, louder than either of us expected. It's the most personal thing. I'm sorry, I repeated. I didn't know what else to say. He took a deep breath. Anyway, I've been thinking about what I could do after this. You know, what's my next step? Because I want to make it big. Okay. What the hell happened to your front tooth? Don't worry about it, I said quickly. He stood up and turned to face me. Did you know I've always been somewhat of an amateur sleuth? My heart stopped and I had to remind myself to keep breathing. I still hadn't sat down and I was grateful for that. Easier to leave quickly. He continued. Comes naturally to me. For example, I found out who you were real quick. A random 30-year-old comes on the show as a wild card right after David G goes missing. It's pretty obvious what's going on. Your accent gives something away, and the wig, well, it's a bit much, don't you think? It's like you got Staten Island stamped on your ass, which needs work, by the way. This was not the same Ethan who held a cold washcloth to my forehead. He began to pace the room. The competition on the show is steep. You thought you could just... Come here looking normal and old? That people would believe you're a regular contestant? Every female cast member has gotten at least $10,000 worth of work done, and they're all 20. You stick out like a sore thumb. Like a... like a missing front tooth. Ethan forced a laugh at his own joke. What's your point? I asked. Well, I've been thinking about it. For my next thing, I want to do a reality show where I'm a hot private investigator, and every episode, I solve a crime. I've already got a title. Ethan P.I. Do you like that idea, Luella? Sorry, Marie? That's your real name, right? I thought of the black envelopes, swallowed, and took a small step toward the door. He certainly had an agenda, but I still wasn't sure what it was. So the trench coat... It's like my costume. What do you think? Stryker's idea. He's developing the show with me. He picked a piece of lint off one of the sleeves. And the little black notes, I asked. Oh, those were Stryker's idea. Typical director. Loves the drama. You and Stryker wrote those, I asked. Well, I wrote them just because I have better handwriting. It was his master plan. You and Stryker are a duo. I took another step toward the door. At some point, I'd have to make a run for it. Stryker's a sniveling nobody. I send him dick pics every once in a while, and that's enough to keep me in his good graces. 
Ethan moved closer to me. I'm a lone wolf, and he's one step on my way to becoming rich and famous. Just then, I remembered the text exchange I'd seen between Stephanie and Stryker. When she asked, did you get her? Did Stephanie know about this? Stephanie practically begged Stryker to do something. She thought you were messy and incompetent and that you were probably a super fan posing as a detective to get closer to the cast. She wanted you out. Actually, a lot of people did, he said with a smirk. By the way, did you know the ratings skyrocketed after David G.'s disappearance? Doesn't that seem like a weird coincidence to you? Looking around, I calculated how far I was from the door, the window, the kitchenette. The kitchenette was closest. It looked like 12 feet away. There had to be something in there I could use to protect myself. I made a mad dash, and that's when Ethan pushed me to the ground. The wind was knocked out of me, and I lay there stunned. The left hand at my rib cage, the right at my shoulder blade. I recognized that push. I managed to get up to my hands and knees. In the flag challenge, someone pushed me, I said. I stood up, brushed off my palms, and faced him. Yeah? He responded, with a twinkle in his eye. It was you. Could be, he said, his mouth slowly forming an evil grin. You pushed me, then you pretended to save me. Why? Someone needed to slow you down. Your little friend AJ wasn't dying fast enough. This wasn't making sense. You tried to kill AJ, I asked. No. Ethan let out a loud, hard laugh. You want to know what your problem is, Marie? I wished he would stop calling me that. What's my problem, I asked. You don't know what you're doing. You're a rookie, a clown. I read your little notebook, a list of 13 suspects. Wow, way to narrow it down. I've been here for over 30 weeks. I've seen everything, and you don't have a fucking clue. He laughed again. Are you going to botch this like you did the Taylor Bell case? I slowly inched toward the kitchenette. So who did it, I asked, my voice shakier than I would have liked. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Now, I can't just tell you that. Unless you were to, I don't know, meet me halfway, make it worth my while, Marie, he said. You want me to pay you half of what you're making. Then I'll help you nab her. Her? It's obviously a woman. I mean, don't you agree? Poison isn't really a man's weapon. Don't they teach you that in social work school? I was speechless, and he continued. Our murderess killed David G., then she tried to kill your little friend AJ. I was doing her a favor by pushing you. You could say we rekindled our alliance. But now I have to come clean, guilty conscience and all. You're suggesting Tasha did it, I asked. Something wasn't adding up. It's the truth. Give me half of what you're making and I'll hand over every piece of evidence against her. Then you can run home to your little kitty cats, he said, getting closer to me. Only three feet between us. Felt like human chess. My move next. I looked around the apartment, the area rug, the window treatments. Ethan had complained he wasn't earning enough on this show, and before that he worked at a gas station in Kansas. Where would he have gotten the money to redecorate a temporary apartment? Maybe I wasn't the only one he was trying to extort. How'd she get him in my bathtub if I was with her at a cafe, I asked. It was like I'd slapped him in the face. Just give up. Have the police arrest Tasha and go home to Staten Island. 
the first Ethan P.I. episode done. Case closed. I'll give you a little shout-out in the credits. Special thanks to the ultimate loser, Marie Jones. Ethan's eyes were bulging now, and I could see veins pulsing in his neck. He was breathing hard. Clearly, he was overcompensating for something. Suddenly, my phone buzzed in my pocket, and the room was so quiet, we both heard it. Who's texting you? he asked. I looked at my phone. The message was from an unknown number. All it said was, come to 2A now. 2A was John's room. I made a run for the door. Ethan tried to block me so I need him in his allegedly 10-inch penis. He doubled over and let out an agonizing scream. I yanked open the door and ran into the hallway, nearly crashing into Issa. She was carrying a pile of clean bedding so high she could barely see over it. Whoa, watch it, she called out. My adrenaline was skyrocketing. Sorry, Isa, what's all this? Oh, it's you, I'm sorry, she groaned. One of the cast members needs new bedding, and it turns out that's somehow my job. Who, I demanded. Nate, apparently he came all over his other set, now he needs new ones, kill me. If Nate needed new sheets... I had a strong feeling the old ones had been thrown out with AJ in the trash room. Hey, Issa, have you seen Max? The sound guy? No, why? Tell him to meet me at Nate's apartment and to bring his equipment. I ran down the stairs thinking about Ethan, Nate, Stephanie, and Stryker. There was definitely a web, and I was close to finding out who was at the center of it. I got to the second floor completely winded and hobbled down the hall to 2A with a cramp in my side. When I got to John's apartment, the door was ajar. In my experience, this was not a great sign. I slowly entered John's apartment. All the lights were out. I heard someone softly groaning. Tentatively, I walked deeper into the dark room. A rustling noise made me turn around but by then someone had grabbed me from behind, and I felt a serrated blade against my neck. After all this, death by bread knife. Wonderful. I felt hot breath on my ear. You poisoned him! A woman's voice screamed at me. Francis. Francis, let's talk. I tried to keep my neck stiff and steady. You want to kill him? You want to kill John like you killed my brother? I took your little notebook as evidence. You killed these men and claimed to solve their crimes. You must be stopped. I did not kill your brother, I said as calmly as I could, considering the circumstances. Look at what you've done to John, she screamed. She kept the knife on my neck as she walked me toward the bedroom where John lay curled on the bed. A bucket had been placed on the floor. As if on cue, he threw up as we entered the room. The bedside lamp was on, but the room was dim. John looked more haggard than I'd ever seen him. Something was in the jello, he managed to say before puking again. The jello. Phil. I elbowed Frances in the stomach and it surprised her so much she lost her grip on the knife. She dropped to the ground, groping for it in the low light. I may or may not have kicked her in the head as I made a run for the door. I needed to find Phil. Frances chased after me, but luckily I got to the door first yanked it open, squeezed myself out, then slammed it shut on her hands. I felt the bones in her fingers crunch. She yelped, staggering backwards. Truly, I'm not one for violence, but desperate times calls for, you get it. 
I ran down the hall to the stairwell, then climbed up the five flights to the seventh floor as fast as I could. I couldn't catch my breath and felt stitches in both sides. I desperately needed some water. I made it to Phil's door and started knocking hard. No one was answering. Phil, I yelled. Phil, open this door. It's Luella. Oh, Marie, I heard a man's voice say behind me. I turned around. This has been chapters 39 and 40 of Murder on Sex Island, read by the author Joe Firestone, That Is Me. This podcast is produced by Barry Finkel. This episode was edited by Gabrielle Lewis. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Next week, I'll be reading chapters 41 through the epilogue in our finale episode. That's right. Next week is the final episode and this book has an epilogue. Who's the man standing behind Luella? I'm scared and I wrote this. What the hell is going to happen? Who done it? Want to find out before the episode drops? Buy the book. You can do that now. It's physical and real and begging to be on your bookshelf. Till next time. <laughs>